It's Amber Bradley, your host for the unscripted side of LP. It's Talk LP Podcast time. What's up, Talk LP news fans? It's Amber here with Talk LP Podcast time. Super stoked to have Brandon Gentry here, Vice President of Loss Prevention at GameStop. Did I get that right? You did. You nailed it. <laughs> welcome. Welcome. Okay. We talked off camera. We have to tell everyone that we are fellow UNF Ospreys, okay, which is the, the largest known hawk with no enemies because it's so mean. At UNF, University of North Florida, we actually went to North Florida. It is a real school. And so I found another UNFer. So it's, I'm stoked about it. This is my first time meeting one in the wild. So excited. Uh, and and the fact that we're in the same industry, which doesn't even make sense. So, you know, I I saw you on LinkedIn in the same group as UNF, and I reached out and was like, okay, this is ridiculous. The things we have in common, we have to do a podcast. So tell us a little bit about your background, what you do, what you cover at GameStop, and, uh, you know, how much you love UNF. Just kidding. You can leave the last part out, but, you know, background and how you uh, how you came about in this industry. Absolutely. So as the vice president of loss prevention at GameStop, I'm responsible for um, all areas of, of loss safety, whether that is in our stores, in the fulfillment centers, uh, fraud within the e-commerce marketplace, um, with our inventory control team that works in collaboration with our stores. Um, it's a pretty large department. Um, I'm relatively new in the role. I'm nine months into the role, so still learning and growing uh, in the position. Um, but been very uh, been very fortunate. So I've been with GameStop. This is my 13th year now. Um, how I got in to loss prevention, it was by mistake, full disclosure, did not know that loss prevention was an industry or career path. Uh, when I was going through uh, school at UNF, um, I was completely focused on law enforcement. I thought that was going to be the career path for me. Um, and before I graduated, I wanted to do something um, that was tying into law enforcement with a uh, with a job. So I knew that Target had individuals that stood at the front of their stores. They looked like police officers, security guards. So I thought what better job to do before I became a police officer than to uh, to get into a, a career there or to a job there and um, started out with Target standing in front of their stores, checking receipts, making sure that all the merchandise is paid for. I quickly went into the undercover position um, that was the most um, exciting but stressful position I've ever been in in loss prevention. Um, from there, went to a single unit manager with Target um, until the position uh, came open with GameStop. It was a uh, regional LP manager position. So uh, made the move over to GameStop. Um, been here ever since. In addition to being a regional LP manager, I was a director of the field for um, our East Coast division. Um, and then we uh, expanded our organization. We started an omni-channel investigations unit that rolled up into me. Um, and then I assumed uh, my current position as VP of the department um, a little bit over nine months ago. So it's been kind of a whirlwind in, in, over the last 13 years. No year has been the same and definitely could not have predicted this is the industry I would um, end up being in, but um, have loved every minute of it. Well, it's really cool because you're relatively young for vice president role. I'll say it. Our 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 uh, listeners and watchers are thinking, man, that guy looks young, and he is he is young. But 
so I love talking to people like you because obviously, you know, we talk to all kinds of executives on the podcast, some that just jump, you know, from different companies, they maybe go back to operations and end back to LP. And then others like yourself are kind of more of a linear career path, which is, which is so fascinating to me because I've never been good at politics, which you could probably assume. And I always like to hear kind of what are some things, and of course I'm going off script, that's how we roll, but we'll get back on it, I promise. But what are some things that now, nine months into the VP role, um, that are surprising or that you didn't expect, or you're like, oh, okay, now this is kind of, you know, different or something like that. I'm curious as far as the, you see the transition into that VP seat. Yeah, it's a great question. Um... I would say the most surprising thing is how much time is spent just telling other individuals in the organization what it is you do, what it is your department does. Um, whenever people think of loss prevention, they they assume shrink. Um, and that's kind of where it starts and, and, and ends with their knowledge of loss prevention. So just explaining to the executive team the other areas we're involved in, whether it's e-commerce fraud or omni-channel investigations, which, which deals with our external losses that don't necessarily show up as shrink when, the way that we're reporting it, um, but just having to have the conversations with different executives um, almost on a weekly, monthly basis on what we're focused on, how we're focused on it, what we're doing, how we're going about it, um, and the impact of the organization as a whole. Because um, again, they're, they're really just focused on that top line and there's so many other things that factor into it that you just can't tell if you're looking at it from a 10,000 foot level, which is how they're looking at things. Um, so just the constant explanation is kind of probably the most surprising uh, piece of my nine months into the job. Um, yeah. also, I had to pick one other area that really was surprising to me taking on the role is how much I didn't know about some of the areas of my own department. So with our e-com fraud team, um, no, I, I knew conceptually what their job entailed, what they were involved in, but the, uh, the way that they go about it, the, the way that they are uh, combating fraud on our website on a daily, weekly basis, um, you just don't have an appreciation for that um, until you spend time with that group and get to kind of um, talk with their leadership and see how they go about their roles. It's uh, very interesting, but just something that you can't really appreciate until you're directly involved in. Yeah, that's really interesting and good for you to say that, right? I mean, it's, you know, you get some people, they're like, oh yeah, no surprises, knew everything, totally good. But um, that's that's interesting. So going back to constantly explaining, I'm curious, you know, for those that are listening that aspire to be in that VPC, right? Um, like, it's probably, I would think, based on what you just said, a good practice to be, if you're expiring, aspiring to that, to be thinking about, the elevator speech, right? Because I'm sure in your role, I mean, you're asked or you're cornered, you know, walking down the hall or whatever, and or a random phone call that's like, so tell us about, and you need to have that quick, you know, uh, key points of what they're interested in knowing about at that 50,000 foot level you're saying. So curious about like giving some advice on like the elevator speech. I mean, I guess that just have one, right? I mean, and know what you're talking about basically at all times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, very important to have one, like you said, to begin with, but, you know, kind of going beyond the elevator speech, like elevator speeches are, in my experience, they're so, 
a lot of them can be one dimensional. Like this is what we do and this is what we focus on, um, which you definitely have to have that baked into your elevator speech. Um, but find a way to kind of go beyond that. This is what we're doing. This is what we're focused on. But hey, there's something else that's on the horizon that um, that I'm starting to kind of get my hands wrapped around that wanted to make you aware of. And this is how we're planning on approaching it. This is the impact it's going to have to the business. Um, so that is out there and wanted you to be aware of that as well. So it kind of, you're able to define what you're doing in a very succinct time, but you're also letting the individual know there's other aspects to my job. There's other areas that I'm focused on and I want to make you aware of that as well. And again, such a short period of time. Yeah, no, that's a great point for sure. So, so the other thing you said, how did you get to know those elements? Because obviously we have, we have VPs listening too, right? And then maybe they're not fully in depth that all of the different intricacies of the department, but curious, how did you figure out that you didn't know some of those things? Is it going and spending time with those different groups? Yes, a large part of it is. I mean, it, I always pride myself when I, I kind of started out as a regional LP manager, kind of mastered that role, knew everything that there was to know about it, being a regional LP manager. Um, when I became a director overseeing the regional LP managers, um, I, I knew what their job was uh, very well. So as a director, I was able to kind of help guide them and things that have a lot of value, maybe spending less time on things that don't have as much value. So when I was elevated to the uh, VP position, I wanted to kind of bring that same approach. Um, so I'm not able to go to my director of econ fraud and make suggestions or recommendations if I don't conceptually know what it is he's involved in, how he's doing it, uh, the approach that he's taking. So it's spending time with him um, in person, virtually, just kind of making it a point every single week to have touch points, whether it's with econ fraud, our fulfillment center loss prevention team, um, LP operations and inventory control team, uh, weekly just being in contact with them, knowing not only what they're doing, but how they're doing it. Um, that's going to help me down the road be able to give them suggestions when we need to course correct on something. Yeah, and what's cool is you've had these roles, right? When you started at Target, right right at the door checking your seats. I mean, you know what it's like to be that first person, first line of defense, if you will. Okay, so we're gonna step back to the actual questions. So you're welcome. But professional development, let's let's start with um, the life leadership lessons. Cause I always think there's some there's sometimes lots of places to go with these. But you know, when people are listening to this and they're like, man, I would love to be in Brandon's role and like, you know, get up there, like are there things that you constantly go back to, like from a leadership lessons, a mentor saying, like anything like that, that you're like, oh yeah, when times are tough, the tough keep going. Is that a song? That's like a Huey, is it Huey Lewis? I don't know. It doesn't matter. I'm really good at that whole musical trivia, but what is yours? When Not musical trivia, but leadership lessons. Sure. So on the leadership piece, um, one of the things that kind of comes to mind, I had multiple mentors throughout my career, but I do remember one of them um, saying this uh, repeatedly through almost every conversation I'd have with them is um, not only to embrace change, but to, to seek out change. So you can, you can react to change as it comes to you, or you can be the one that is driving the change. And if you're reacting to changes, it's very hard to get ahead. It's very hard to be proactive. You're in a constant state of reactiveness. Um, so if you're the one that's driving the change, um, people are going to see that one, you're not only doing what they're asking you to do with your core role, but you're truly trying to drive change for the betterment of the organization. Um, and, and that's how 
they're going to be able to see you in a different role. They're going to be able to say, yes, they, they're, they've kind of mastered this one um, role that they're in, but look at what else they're bringing to the table. Look at, look at the ideas and the changes they're pushing for, um, even outside their current scope. Um, that's going to allow you to move up in their eyes to that next level when it becomes available. Um, so if you're not already experiencing change in your current role, if you're not the one driving it, chances are you're reacting to it. Um, and for anyone listening, I just encourage them to be kind of the driver of change versus reacting to it. Yeah, that's, um, I've never heard that before. That's why I love asking these que these questions, because you always hear something totally different from everybody, which is really cool. But um, now we've, we've kind of packed this beginning part out with advice for those trying to come up to that VP level and even just, you know, maybe um, store detective to regional or whatever, right? So I, I want to make sure we didn't leave anything out because that's definitely one of the things that I say we're going to talk about and make sure that you have a moment to say if there's anything um, that you could give people advice for and kind of climbing that corporate ladder. I would say get out of your comfort zone. So kind of tying into the change piece, but um, it's a little bit separate, you know, take on more responsibility than what you're ready for at the time within reason. Um, I, I remember the um, individual who was onboarding me when I joined GameStop, uh, they, they were a multi-region LP manager. And I think their score count was 350 or so locations. Um, I was joining as a single region LP manager. I would have around 150 locations. And I remember asking them, like, how do you manage three, 400 locations? And isn't that stressful? And his response was, um, I'd rather have too much responsibility than not enough. Um, I'd rather be overworked than underworked because um, that's how you grow. That's how you add value to the organization. Um, so being able to kind of not staying in that comfort zone, but seeking a way to get out of it, seeking a way to, to take on more than maybe what you're comfortable with, like that is a uh, um, definitely a piece of advice I would give anyone listening. Yeah, that's a good one. And super tough to do, especially when you're like, don't want to fail and you want to keep going up that trajectory, right? And it's like, okay, well, if I try this out and I fail, but um, so it was, so diving into that a little bit more, you know, when people are out of their comfort zone and I'm sure obviously you have been several times in kind of those new roles, but like, what are some things that people should do? Like I've heard some say, look, you know, make sure you have a mentor, make sure that you, you know, are, are constantly asking people kind of for their help. Like, don't be scared to ask for help. Um, I don't know. Was there something that, that you did as you got, into these new roles and said, Hey, you know, maybe it's surround yourself with, you know, peers and people that you can call if you've got a question that's not going to judge you or something. And the thing for me that, that helped me out the most, I mean, I can't understate the importance of asking for help. Like you said, having, having a strong network of mentors and individuals you can go to um, when you run into a situation that you don't have the answers for. But uh, for me personally, the thing that, um, helped me the most was at, at the start of any new role, any new challenge, uh, just kind of before I jumped right into it and began a, attacking what the role was or the issues at hand, um, having a plan, kind of brainstorming what my priorities are, you know, the 30, 60, 90 day um, transition into a new role. Like you don't have to transition into a new role to have a 30, 60, 90 day plan. You can create a 30, 60, 90 day plan when there's just a new um, challenge in your current role, a new task that you've been asked to take on. 
So spending a fair amount of time writing down what it is you hope to accomplish within certain timelines, setting check marks or goals for yourself to make sure that you're staying on track to that uh, timeline that you've set for yourself. That really has helped set me up for success because um, by having those little milestones, little checkpoints um, along my path, um, that allows me to stay focused on the big picture, but one little win at a time, so to speak. So um, hope that answered your question. Yeah, I love that answer. And it's always one of those things that I'm all, you think, especially as a strategic leader, which you are, you have to be like, okay, it's not just what's what's on my calendar this week, which is often tough to try to make time to plan for. I find that, you know, when you're planning things for my own company, it's like, okay, we need to stop and be strategic and turn all the phones off and email off and figure that out. So, you know, knowing that you sit at this VP level and obviously interacting with the C-suite all the time, like what in general, we know you're not speaking specifically for GameStop, but in general, thinking about challenges that are on the horizon. I mean, whether that's the omni-channel work that you're doing or the fraud, or I mean, it seems like digital fraud's like off the chain these days, but you know, what what challenges generally would you say, hey, listen up, listeners, like if you don't have a plan or are thinking about this on the horizon, like you may want to do that. So I'll, I'll kind of cover this question from two different angles. On the e-commerce side, um, there's a growing trend of fraud on the e-com side. It, it, it's called friendly fraud. It's basically legitimate customers making purchases on the website, but then filing um, a claim with the customer service department uh, that they did not get the product or charging it back to their, or doing a chargeback with their credit card, saying that product never arrived. Um, so there, there's no way on our website to prevent for the first time that type of transaction from occurring. The customer is a legitimate customer. Um, they're not a traditional fraudster. So it's very hard to have a, a rule in place on your website to prevent those types of transactions. So having a good system in place to um, attack that type of friendly fraud, ha having a good plan in place. We created a um, team within our department that reviews these types of, of orders. Um, and, and our losses several years ago from friendly fraud were 10x what they are now. Um, and how we got down to the level that we're at now was creating a very small team, giving that small team the task to review these orders um, and, and then have enough evidence to be able to contest them, know that we should not be able to pay out this order. We should be able to dispute it with the credit card company if it results in a chargeback. Um, so in the e-com side, that is uh, one area of fraud that's continuing to grow. I anticipate it um, growing even further as people get more and more comfortable um, committing fraud through our e-commerce marketplaces. Uh, but going back to stores, um, I know ORC has been mentioned ad nauseum on, on every earnings um, <laughs> call, on every uh, LP-related um, podcast or even at Rela NRF, it, it's the dominating topic. Um, but explaining to our leadership team the impact that that has to our business, um, GameStop specifically, we have been very um, fortunate that a lot of our product, a lot of our merchandise has not historically been customer facing. Um, our business is shifting, more and more product is becoming customer facing. Um, and so our, our shrink, if, if we sit back and do what we've always done and take the approach that we've always take, um, our shrink will get worse because ORC um, is affecting us. External theft is continuing to increase. Um, that's not specific to GameStop. That's across the board. 
Um, so what changes do we need to make with visual merchandising, with our stores and how they respond to ORC and shoplifting, with our count schedule to uh, more quickly capture areas of loss through counting the product and knowing about that loss um, in real time versus sitting back and waiting once a year for a PI to come in. Um, we're having to look at kind of all avenues to approach the uh, the issue, but that's one that um, we're currently working through is going to be a challenge for us. And um, I know industry-wide, it's a, a, a pretty overarching challenge. Yeah, the, those are two major things for sure. I mean, and you're right, that's been um, weirdly in the news. And now all of the CEOs are like, what's OR What's going on with this ORC? We should be focused on that. And every all the loss prevention asset protection executives are like, duh, like we've kind of been talking about this, telling you about it for so long. Okay, we're finishing up, we're rounding it out, but you have to do, these are, these are two fun ones. I love these. Okay, so it's best career advice and worst career advice. You can do both. Or you can pick one because I know some people that are super positive are like, I'm not going to do worst. But okay, if you have one for both, I'll let you choose because these are always my favorite. I, I will take you up on both. So I will nice. start with the best career advice. And that um, thinking about that, uh, I was given advice uh, long ago to not make a rash decision based on a short-term circumstance. So there may be... Ooh situation with the company that you're in or with your certain role where things are not ideal they are not clicking like they should um, and a lot of individuals they'll quickly look for the exit door they'll look to make a change very drastically um, and, and I've noticed that um, more times than not that's not to the person's betterment when they look at their career as a whole being able to kind of persevere in that moment of stress um, you will come out better for it uh, and your career will thank you for it down the road. Um, so best advice was not making rash decisions. And then the worst advice I would say is uh, see picture, do picture. That is an expression that I cannot stand. Um, <laughs> I've never heard that. Oh, well, let me introduce it to you. So see picture, do picture basically means um, this is what we want you to do. This is how we want you to do it. Don't deviate from that. And so Ooh. that process. It doesn't allow for any innovation. It doesn't allow for any change to be able to adapt in any way to it. Um, and so from a, a loss prevention standpoint, if you're telling associates, see picture, do picture, well, what if what you're telling them doesn't work? You're just going to keep having bad results. There has to be the flexibility there um, to adapt, to change, to kind of pivot uh, when the data tells you that you need to pivot. Um, so by far, that is the worst career advice I've been given. Now, I like that example because especially like, and I've seen this in our, our awareness work is that you go to the corporate office and sometimes the corporate folks are like, oh no, this is how it works in the stores. They're definitely doing it this way. And then you go do focus groups in the stores and you're like, no, they're not. Like they're not even doing anywhere close to that. Like, what are you even saying? So those are two really good ones. Okay. We're rounding it out with, I always say these are my favorite. The last ones are my favorite, but if you weren't an LP executive, what career did you miss out on? Like, what would you be? Can I give you two answers? Yes, I'll take it. They are extremely different. Um, I'll, I'll preface it with that. Um, first one that jumps out to me, so kind of going back to why I wanted to be involved in law enforcement um, initially, it was um, a desire to help people, a desire to help the community. Um, I also love problem solving, so being able to help people, but also kind of solve a problem. Um, I would a career I missed out on, I would say, was a pediatrician. 
being able to to help people in need, being able to solve a, a problem situation at hand. Um, that that has always interested me, and um, that would be the career I missed out on. However, if I was not a pediatrician, um, it would be owning my own brewery. Um, huh? Very different. Yes. Uh, would love to own and operate a brewery. I've always I've, I've joked that um, my retirement job will be working in a brewery. I don't care what I'm doing. I could be cleaning the vats or, or selling the beer. Doesn't really matter. But that would be a, um, a second career that I would be. A, you could probably find me in you know, years from now. Yeah, I was gonna say right in Atlanta, you got Sweetwater right there. I mean, I'm sure they might be hiring. You know, who knows? Water, Monday night, red hair. I could go on and on. But yes, there's no <laughs> no shortage here. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right, Brandon, we really appreciate your time today in the Talk LP podcast hot seat. Thank you so much.